we will be in verses 18 uh, to 25. So Romans chapter 8, starting in verse uh, 18. Follow along as uh, we read the word of God this morning. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves have the, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let's close. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we just ask that you would speak to us from your word here this morning. We ask that your your Holy Spirit would be present, that you would give me the words uh, to say. Uh, But most of all, Lord, that we would fall more and more in love with you, that we would marvel at the work of redemption that you are doing in us uh, and that you will do on your return and that you will make all things new a new heavens and a new earth. Uh, May we look forward to this future. May it encourage us in our times of of discouragement. Lord, again, just bless your word and give me the words to say. May it go forth clearly in Jesus precious name we pray. Amen. Imagine for me with your, uh, a moment that you are offered a sports car, a really expensive sports car. And for the sake of this illustration, let's pretend that it's one of those really high-end European sports cars. I know some of you might like American sports cars, but let's say it's one of those ones that costs six figures on average, maybe even a seven-figure, a Lamborghini or, or something Italian maybe even. And, and it's not a scam, and the person says to you, I will give you this sports car for a dollar. How long would it take you to do the math to decide whether or not it's worth sacrificing one dollar of your income for that sports car? I mean, if you had to weigh the value of those two things, and you have this one dollar bill in your wallet, and you're like, oh, you know, I was really saving this for a cup of coffee after work. Ooh. How long, I mean, honestly, we would right away, we'd be like, hey, uh, do you have a second one? I have $2 in my wallet, you know. I've got a five. How many can I get at this price? You, you would calculate the value and instantly you would recognize what you are getting is superior to what you have to give up to get it. What you are getting is superior to to the small sacrifice of parting with one dollar. I'm sure we could do the math and we could say, you know, even if you had to give up one whole paycheck, some of us might even uh, take that deal because of how superior this fancy sports car would be. 
We're in a passage of Scripture this morning that is challenging us to do something very similar, and that is consider something. Consider the glory that is to come in light of what little we have to go through sometimes now in this life. Look at verse 18 with me, and this is kind of sets up the theme for our sermon this morning. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul does the considering. He does the reckoning. He runs the numbers. And he says, what we go through now in this life, while it is suffering sometimes, and while it is hard, and while it can be painful, it is small and minute compared to the glory that awaits us. What we are going through now pales in comparison to what we will have. And Paul has said in verse 17, you'll see this, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so now he is contrasting this suffering and this glory. Paul's saying, if I had to rank them, if I had to to rate them, what I am going through now doesn't even compare to the glory that awaits me. And so our main question this morning that we want to be asking ourselves is, how great and awesome is this glory that awaits us? And sometimes in our lives we get so focused and stuck on the here and now, we get so discouraged, we get so down in the dumps, we're looking at everything going on in our life, and we we say, oh, this isn't worth it, it's never going to end. And we need to look up for a moment and look to the future and say, what is the glory that is coming? And when I suffer as a believer in Christ, when God walks me through some sort of hardship, it is worth it. Because think of the glory that awaits us. So first this morning, the coming coming glory is so great that even the creation eagerly awaits becoming glorified. This This is fascinating. We are not the only ones waiting. We are not the only ones excited about this. The creation itself is looking forward to this day of glory. Creation is eagerly expecting the revelation of the sons of God. Look at verse 19. For the creation waits with, with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Here, creation is personified. It's talking about everything else but human beings. Obviously, human beings are created as well. But here you see that the creation is longing for the revealing of the sons of God, meaning the sky, the rocks, the trees, the stars. I was even thinking about this this morning and thinking to myself, I wonder if my dog is waiting for the creation to be redeemed and glory. I I don't know how much my dog comprehends sometimes. Sometimes you you think he's very smart. Other times you think, no, he's not too bright. But the point here is that creation is personified to say even it is looking forward to something that's going to come. 
There is an ultimate destiny for God's creation, just as there is an ultimate destiny for you and I, particularly as believers in Christ destined to glory. The creation wants this. It wants to see the children of God, the sons of God, those who have the inheritance and are going to receive the inheritance, it wants to see us get the inheritance. This revealing of the sons of God is this idea of the believer coming to partake in the glory of God. 1 Peter 5.1, speaking to elders, but I want you to notice how the verse ends. 1 Peter 5.1, So I exhort you, the elders among you, as fellow elders and a witness to the suffering of Christ, as well as the partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And he goes on to give instructions to the elders, but he, but he draws that identification. He says, you know, I'm Peter, I'm, I'm the witness to the sufferings of Christ, but I'm also going to be a partaker in the glory of that is to be revealed. And elsewhere you can see where all of Scripture talks about believers in the future partaking of the glory. And so there is here an already not yet aspect. When you become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you become a child of God. You are adopted into the family as we looked at it last week. You are a son. And remember we said in the ancient world, sons are the ones who primarily inherit. So this wasn't a a sexist thing. This was highlighting the high privilege of being a co-heir with Christ. You already have this now. But we're waiting something. A a not yet aspect. the, The full revelation of our being children and sons of God. Right now, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You take it by faith. You receive these promises And you say, okay, I'm a child of God. But let's be honest, it doesn't always look like we're a child of God. We don't, maybe in our lives, always feel like we're a child of God. Nevertheless, we are. But when the Lord Jesus returns and He transforms us, people everywhere will see that we are sons of God. We will radiate the glory of God in in resurrection bodies. And so the creation is sitting on the edge of its seat in anticipation. I can't wait till God's children get the resurrection. And so creation is described here as itself fallen. So why does creation have this expectation? Well, look at verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. And the verse kind of cuts off in the middle of a sentence of thought there. But just hang with me here for a minute. Paul is reflecting on on the Old Testament, on, on Genesis 3. Adam and Eve sin, and they are made in the image of God. They are to be... God's representation in His creation. They are to rule over the garden just as God rules over the heavens and the earth. And when Adam sins and eats the apple and and Eve falls to the temptation, both of them are cursed. But not only are they cursed, what happens to all the earth? 
Why do you have weeds in your garden? Why, why is it a pain to go out in the middle of the summer in that hot, hot heat? And if you want a garden with vegetables, you've got to pull out the weeds that will choke it out. And, and in the days and age before Walmart, you had to labor hard to put food on the table. We still labor hard today, but not quite in the same way as we're not agricultural for the most part. But notice Genesis 3, 17 and 18. Adam, uh, and he, and Adam, to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Uh, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat all of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. It is going to be a hard life. And so the creation here is subjected to futility. The creation is entrapped because of the curse of Adam's sin. And and it says here, again, personifying creation, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Who is the him who subjected it? Well, God put creation under the curse as a consequence for Adam. And creation was made to to bring glory to God. The scriptures say in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. They, They still do that. And yet we also know that creation is filled with danger, with death, with thorns and thistles, with disease, with, I don't want to freak any of you out if you're germaphobes, but, but there's bacteria out there. And it's horrible. And, and God didn't create uh, things to, to destroy themselves or bacteria to, to eat away at, at flesh or other things. God created the creation good. And so when Adam sinned, the creation wasn't going, hey, God, I'd, I'd be willing to, to be punished here too. This is the idea. It didn't go here willingly, but God, having set Adam and Eve at the head of creation, not only cursed them, but cursed the, the rest of creation. It was a, an overflow, an effect. This language here, the creation is subjected to futility, is also how Paul describes unbelievers in, first, or in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. In the same way that that sinners and as sinners, we without Christ are trapped inside the futility of our minds, not desiring God, not delighting in him, rebelling against him, unable to liberate and free ourselves God has also put the creation under the curse and it can't liberate itself. And so it says we want the day where God will show His people to be the sons of God. The creation is crying out, we want to see the resurrection. Because in that day, creation itself will be set free. So pick up on the end of verse 20 with that phrase, in hope, and then look at Verse 21, in hope that the creation will be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Just as much as you and I are enslaved to sin, the picture here is that creation is enslaved. It is in bondage to corruption. 
Why is it that this language of corruption is not just a moral category, but you think of like decay? You think of how if you cut a tree down and you leave it there, it will rot. And bugs will come in and eat the rottingness of it. You think of, uh, of an animal on the side of the road. And I don't want to be too graphic and disgusting, but, but what happens to its flesh? The creation wears out. Even a good, healthy tree will over time start to, if it's not taken care of, rot itself out from the inside. Why is creation like this? If God made creation good, why does this happen? Because the creation is subject to the curse of sin. It's in bondage. And it wants to obtain this freedom. It wants to to be in that state of, of good again. Now, you can still look out at the creation today and say, God made these things. God, God made these things good. But any time you see something in creation not working as it should, you think of even how the body, the human body, can be ravaged by disease and illness and even things like cancer where your own body starts turning against itself. God didn't make us that way. That was not God's original plan. That is the result of the fall. That is the curse of sin. And God will undo all of it. Not only does He redeem us as His children, He will also redeem the creation. He will make it a new creation. And so the there is this hope that the creation itself will be set free. Why are they longing? Why is creation longing? Because it knows what's coming. It knows. You think about that. Again, this is personification. But the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. Day after day, the stars in the sky, Psalm 19, pour forth spirit. Speech. They're saying that God exists and He is glorious. Now, it's, it's not something that we can like translate. It's not some sort of secret code. It's, it's just by virtue of the fact that God has made these things. And so, by virtue of the fact that God has made these things and now they are under the curse, by that fact, they are also looking forward to that curse being removed. Where where the creation will fulfill its intended purpose and it is going to be amazing. But what has to happen for this day to come? God has to bring to completion the salvation of His children. God has to bring you and I to glory in the resurrected state. The the revelation of the sons of God. And the creation will then enjoy and experience the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You could literally translate this phrase to obtain the freedom as something like for the freedom or into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The redemptions of our bodies in glorious resurrection is when we fully and finally receive the new creation. Our bodies won't get old. We will no longer die and suffer. 
we will play volleyball and not sprain our ankles like I did a month ago. And it will be amazing. But it will also extend through the entire heavens and the entire earth. A new creation. What's fascinating is that Paul says anyone who is in Christ is now a new creation. He has begun that work in you, in your hearts. Not in your physical body yet, but in your heart. It's that already not yet. You already have some of this. The Spirit is there. And you will get the rest of it. And how awesome will that day be? Let me just read some other passages of Scripture for you. That not only is the curse of sin removed from us, but it's also removed from all of creation. Second Peter 3.13 But according to His promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Revelation 21.1 Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. And, and sea there has images of rebellion and, and chaos. Not, not saying there won't be necessarily water in the new heavens and the new earth. But you think about how the sea is when storms stir up. You think about the chaos that's out there. Uh, seas are not typically calm and peaceful. Particularly in the ancient world, if you're on it in a very tiny little boat, they're dangerous. And the point is, it will be peaceful. Righteousness will dwell there. The creation won't be in rebellion. Uh, the lion and the lamb will lay down together. Isaiah 66:22. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I shall make remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. There you have the, the offspring of God's people. The name of God's people dwelling and remaining just as the new heavens and the new earth remain. Isaiah 65, verses 17, 18, and 19. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people, and no more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. How great is this glory. We have suffering now. We have cries of distress. We, we cry out to God, maybe, God, where are you? Or God, save me from this. Or God, don't you know how I'm hurting and what I'm going through? And God knows. But think of the future. There'll be no more crying and distress. No more wailing. There will be joy and gladness and, and rejoicing. Uh, I don't know how many of you hang around after church, but, but you should listen to the kids after church sometimes. Sometimes they misbehave. But, but there are those moments where they are running and there is laughter. And, and there's just, I know kids are sinful, but, but sometimes you catch these moments and it's just sheer exuberance. It's just a, a moment of, of delight. They're laughing and chuckling and they're, they're being silly and, and maybe they're running a little too fast, but, but you just laugh because they're having a good time. That joy and glory is small and minute compared to the joy and the glory we will have in heavens 
as it extends through the entire new creation of the new heavens and the new earth. Sometimes I think in our daily lives we don't spend enough time thinking about what's coming. We get so stuck in the moment. It's kind of like being stuck in the mud and you look down and all you can see is how you're sinking. We don't look up and realize what God is going to do and what He is doing to rescue us. How great is this coming new creation? How awesome is it that that the creation itself is looking forward to it? Don't you think me then as a child of God even more should be eagerly awaiting these things? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.17, For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. The temptation is to say, well, Paul, you you haven't been through very much if you call it a light and momentary affliction. Paul, you don't know what I've been through in my life. It's hard. Paul was beaten and left for dead several times. Paul was shipwrecked, adrift at sea, washing up on more than one occasion. We have one occasion uh, reported in Acts, but he tells us in Corinthians that it was more than once that this happened. Paul was ridiculed. Paul had anxiety for the churches. Paul traveled on the Roman roads and, and faced robbers and bandits. Paul suffered way more than us in our comfortable air-conditioned homes will ever suffer. Not trying to minimize our suffering, but what I'm saying to you is that when Paul says in this light and momentary affliction, he's saying it not because he hasn't had hardship. He's saying it because he's compared all of his hardship, all of his being beaten and left for dead, knocked unconscious, drug out of cities, clothes ripped off of him. He's comparing it to the glory that awaits. You might be going through something horrific. You might be going through some kind of suffering. Maybe it's a physical thing. Maybe it's a mental thing. Maybe it's a spiritual thing. Maybe it's a combination of those things. Look at the glory that awaits you. Sometimes we do suffer in this life because of the consequences of our own sin and we need to confess those and repent when we do that. But there are many times as a Christian we suffer just by virtue of being Christians in a fallen world. When you're in those circumstances, do not lose heart. Second this morning, the coming glory outweighs the present groaning and suffering we experience. So we've already said how the creation weighs this. Again, let's return to this theme of our light and momentary affliction. How do we rate it? Creation, then, is described as groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Verse 22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together as in pains of childbirth until now. Again, you get echoes of of the language of Genesis, the, the thinking in Genesis. Why do ladies now have pain in childbirth? Well, it's because of Adam and Eve's sin, because they disobeyed God. 
Uh, I don't know what it would have been like in, in before the fall, but, but I know that there wouldn't have been pain in childbirth. I don't know how you can give birth without having pain, but somehow it would have happened. Well, I do know it's called an epidural, but, but that doesn't count. Um, Genesis 3.16, And to the woman God said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring them forth. But here the language is this idea that, that creation is groaning in this way. We too groan inwardly looking for the fullness of redemption. Look at verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So the creation is groaning as if it is going through childbirth. And so we are groaning. Uh, It's kind of ironic and funny uh, we were in John 16 this morning in Sunday school, and Jesus uses uh, this very similar imagery. And Matt uh, brought this up as well. And I thought, man, Matt's stealing half of my uh, illustration for my sermon this morning. But it, it's this picture of think about how childbirth uh, works in the sense that, and mothers, you know this way more than I do, there is incredible pain in giving birth to this child. But, but typically, you know, the minute the baby is born, they take that baby out. They really don't wait that long, and they just put it right on the mother's chest. And, and just, you know, th- you think of all the emotions in the room just change instantly. Like, literally, three seconds before, there was screaming. And, and the, some ladies scream more than others. And it just, you think it's torture. And then all of a sudden, this baby is there. And everybody's crying with tears of joy and everybody is excited and everybody is happy. And, and, and you know, I'm not saying the ladies don't have pain after the fact, but, but by comparison, it just changes night and day. And, and, you know, I know sometimes some of you ladies probably are frustrated with your kids, but I'm sure if I got you on a good day and asked you, was the pain of childbirth worth it? Uh, on a good day, you would say, yes. Uh, maybe not on the bad days. We've, we've all been there. But it's this picture of groaning and, and suffering and, and the creation and, and ourselves in agony. And then the Lord returns. And then there is the resurrection of the body. And then there is this full revelation of the children of God. And it's like we've just been given birth. All the pain is gone. And even as Isaiah says, the former times, they they become a faint memory. I'm sure most of you, when you reflect on the birth of your children, uh, now occasionally maybe you tease your children about how long the labor was. You know, like, I was in labor for 12 hours for you. But typically you reflect on how joyous that day was. So it will be with the coming of the Lord. And right now, we're in a period of childbearing pain, groaning, suffering with Christ, our bodies getting old, suffering under the curse of creation, sometimes being mocked and ridiculed because we bear the name of Jesus Christ, sometimes even around the world today, Christians being tortured or dragged out of their homes. And it's horrendous and it's horrible. But there will come a day when God's glory is revealed. And in that day, you will not ask yourself, gee, 
was it really worth it? You will not look back and say, you know, why did I go through all of these things? You won't even remember the depths of the pain and the suffering with Christ. We too groan inwardly looking for the fullness of redemption. What should we be most eager for? The resurrection. The resurrection. Eagerly awaiting for the adoption as sons. Again, you'll notice here, as I've been saying, it's this already not yet contrast. Are we adopted already? Yeah. Paul has made that clear in the earlier verses. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, verse 14, are sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery, but you received the spirit of adoptions, where we cry, Abba, Father. We already have the adoption. And yet we're waiting for the adoption. We're waiting for the fullness of it. It's kind of like having the certificate from the court already. And now we're just waiting to go home to the glorious home where the new family will take us in. It will be our resurrected state. It will be in the new heavens and the new earth. It will be the redemption of our bodies. And so in in Scripture, we can talk about ourselves as those who are already redeemed. Is the curse of sin removed from me? Well, yes and no. What do you mean by that question? Am I under the guilt of sin anymore? Am I under the wrath of God if I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? No. I'm set free. I am justified. I can stand before God as the judge and I am declared righteous. And that happened the moment I got saved. And that was one time for all time. I will never be more justified before God than I was in the moment when I first got saved. And yet, there's something that awaits me. I have been redeemed. Christ has purchased me with His blood. And that blood has been applied to me. But I'm still in a sinful body. The curse still has effects that it's carrying out in my life. And I'm looking forward to the day where body and soul is under that redemption. The resurrection. Where I'm not getting old and I'm not decaying. That is our future hope. 1 John 3.2 Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him as He is. What does Christ have now? A resurrected body where He radiates glory in in full humanity. Do you realize that? Christ is sitting up in heaven still completely and entirely fully human in a resurrected, glorified body. And we will get that resurrected, glorified body. 2 Corinthians 5.5 He has prepared for us for this very thing who has given us the Spirit as our guarantee. And so we have here in this language in Romans, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. So those who are groaning inwardly are the believer in Jesus Christ. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit. 
Why is there often this tension between, you know, I, I know I'm a believer, but I'm suffering in some sort of consequence. I'm getting old. Maybe even I'm wrestling with some sort of sin in my life. Because I have the Holy Spirit, but I don't yet have the entire freedom from all the effects of sin. I am free in Christ, and yet my body is still an earthly body. And so the Spirit is given to us, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.5, as a guarantee, a down payment. How do you know that that glorious creation is going to be something that you will one day share in? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? That He died on the cross? That He's your Savior and He's Lord? Have you confessed His name? If you have, He has put the Holy Spirit within you. The Spirit of adoption. The Spirit of the down payment. The Spirit of the first fruits. And that's language from the harvest. And, and the first fruits coming in is that, that first part of the harvest that guarantees the rest of it will come in. I've, I've used this analogy before, but in the Old Testament, why did you go in and you would take the first fruits of your, your harvest in and give them to the Lord? Because you were trusting Him. You were saying, this is the first part of the harvest and I'm giving it to God and I have to now rely on Him that the food that I need will come in. And can you imagine the, the level of trust? Like you're giving that small portion, maybe enough to feed your family, and you give it to the Lord. And what would happen if a storm came through, a tornado, a hailstorm, and it destroys the rest of your crops before the full harvest can come in? And you are literally giving it to God and saying, I'm trusting you. It was a guarantee and a promise. And so the first fruits being given of the Holy Spirit is a guarantee and a promise. It's one harvest that comes in, God redeeming His people, but it comes in in two stages, if you will. The, the first fruit aspect where He gives us a hint of it, a, a foretaste of it. It's, it's kind of like getting those first tomatoes out of the garden in the season and they're, they're so fresh and so juicy and you eat them right up and you go, oh man, I can't wait until the rest comes. And so it is with the Holy Spirit. He's put the Spirit of God within you who's convicting you and leading you and transforming you to the image of Christ and we should be sitting here going, oh man, I cannot wait until the rest of the harvest comes in. The full resurrection of my body. The full new heavens and the new earth. I may be a little bit of the new creation right now inwardly as, as God has put spiritual life in my heart. But oh, that is not enough. I need to see the full glory of God in the full new creation. The coming glory then outweighs anything that I am going through now. God's plan is so much bigger than you and me. Sometimes we are so focused on ourselves. What is God doing for me? What is God doing in my life right now? What is God doing 
in all of creation. What is God's plan for the whole scope of everything? Now, the amazing part is at the apex of this, at the the climax, the high point is that God will redeem a people. Just as God put Adam and Eve in the garden and he put them there kind of at the top of everything to rule over everything under them. And he said, you know, subdue it and rule over it and care for it. They were they were kings and queens in a little kingdom, just like God is a king over all of creation. And yet when they sinned, God cursed everything from them on down. But God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who took on true humanity, who, who died on the cross and then experienced the same resurrection we will experience. And God made Jesus in that crowned glory of His humanity the King over all creation. And we will share in that. That is Christ's inheritance and that is what we become co-heirs in And the effect of that falls down to all the creation that we were originally destined to rule over. It is amazing. And so human beings have value. And your life has purpose. And God cares about what's going on in the midst of your trials and struggles. And He has prepared a great glory for you. Now, do the math. What I'm going through now, how does it rank and compare to this awesome glory that not only I get, but all of creation gets? And that's the third thing this morning, then. The coming glory gives us hope even when we do not yet see it. We have a firm and concrete hope because we have Jesus Christ. For in this hope we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? This is just kind of basic, simple logic. If you see it, if you already have it, you're not hoping for it. And all Paul is saying here is we know this is yet to come, and that's why we hope for it. Because God will do what he's promised to do. We are still looking forward to it in anticipation. Paul uses the language of hope elsewhere. And I just want to read for you Romans 5, 2 through 5. Through him, Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Do you see how these things are all connected? Suffering, hope, the Holy Spirit. It's what we've seen in Romans 8. It's what we see in Romans 5. We have the hope of glory. But Paul says, you know, I'm not only hoping and rejoicing in what's coming. I'm actually rejoicing in my hardship right now. That's hard to do. But Paul says, I know what God is doing in my life through it. It's producing endurance. 
I'm learning to hang on to Christ. I'm learning to trust Him. I'm learning that He won't let me down. That endurance is producing character. It's shaping me. I'm becoming more Christ-like in my behavior. I'm, I'm learning not to be blown around like a boat on a, on a stormy sea. Oh, I don't know if God loves me. Oh, look at the horrible things I'm going through. Oh, woe is me. We're saying no. I'm resting on the rock. Jesus is the rock that's unmoving. And so it's building our character. And character produces hope as we begin to see, yeah, God really is doing what He promised to do. How much more will He bring it to completion? And so we're not disappointed or put to shame. We will never get to the end of life and the end of the ages and say, why did I bother hoping in God? We will never get there and say, you know, ah, not really what I was expecting, but okay, I guess. Do you ever have that happen with like a present, like, like at Christmas? I'm selfish sometimes, and, and I had some problems with this when I was, when I was younger. And, and, you know, like you ask for something and you're, you're hoping and you've got this big vision in your head of what you're going to get. And, and then they get you maybe the generic knockoff. Or they get you something that wasn't on your list and you're like, it's a Christmas gift. Okay. Not what I was hoping for. We'll never be that way with the glory of God. Our minds can't even begin to fathom all that it will entail. We only, we only get little glimpses. It's, it's like looking through a, a faded window and seeing vaguely what's coming. It will blow our minds when we are in glory. And so we have hope, and hope gives us patience at the present time. We have hope for what we do not see, verse 25. We wait for it with patience. I want to draw some conclusions and applications here this morning. And again, just say to you, to you, do the math. Run the numbers. Go back and look at verse 18. For I consider, I've reckoned this. Do you consider the present sufferings to be minor and minute compared to the glory that is coming? First, the picture here is of redemption of the whole creation. The context for my salvation in Christ is that God is also redeeming the entire cosmos. Sometimes we can be so self-centered on what God is doing for us, we miss the big picture. And sometimes we can only talk about salvation as, well, I'm going to heaven when I die. Is that going to be great? Is that something that happens if you're a believer in Christ? Yes, absolutely. But, but, but in the scope of things, that's just like the halfway point. That's just like the train stop along the way. The final, ultimate hope is not heaven when I die, but the new heavens and the new earth where God Himself brings His glory down and the dwelling of God is with men. And the whole creation is renewed and restored and recreated. Heaven when I die is going to be cool but it's going to be surpassed by the new heavens and the new earth. When I die, my body will go in the grave, and if I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, my spirit will go and be with the Lord. But I will be bodiless. I'm 
my body when Christ returns will come out of the grave. Resurrection. Reunited body and soul radiating the glory of God. Do I want to go to heaven when I die? Absolutely. But even more than that, I want the resurrection of the body. Consider also the pride of place that God has given to humans, especially redeemed humans. So human beings are made in the image of God. But this whole plan and purpose for God's creation, when He brings Him glory, He has put mankind at the center of that. That we will rule over creation. But you know what? We failed. And so what does God do? God sends His Son who has an eternal glory and an eternal sonship. God sends His Son to step down in creation, to die on the cross, to bear the curse of sin, and then to be raised from the dead. So Christ takes the curse of sin and in that curse dies and then rises again from the dead so that all of humanity that believes in Him and all of the creation can itself move from that curse into the new heavens and the new earth of the new creation. But Jesus goes through that first. Suffering to glory. What do we experience? Suffering as we believe and trust in Christ to glory. What does the creation experience? Suffering and futility of decay to glory of the new heavens and the new earth. And so God has made Jesus the center of all of this. But He does it by Jesus becoming human. Jesus will reign for all eternity in a glorified human resurrection body as both the eternal Son of God, but also the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's what the new heavens and the new earth will look like. In your despair then and in your affliction, do not just look inward or to yourself. Look outward and upward. Outward in the sense of what God is going to do in the future with the new heavens and the new earth. What is this glory that's coming? And upward to Christ who already partakes of the resurrection body that awaits us. Christ in His resurrection is called the first fruits of the resurrection. Again, that imagery. Christ is the first part of the harvest as He rose again from the dead. And in my humanity, I'm going to get exactly what Christ got in His humanity. The temptation in hardship and pain and sorrow, affliction, is to look at ourselves. Maybe even to say to other people or even to God, you you just don't understand. I'm the only one who's ever been through this. Woe is me. You don't know how bad I have. And we can talk ourselves into this sort of downward spiral of discouragement and despair. We need to look to Christ. We need to look at what He has done and what He is doing. And we need to be able to look and say, yeah, you know, it is bad now. 
And I'm not trying to minimize things that some of you might be going through. But at the same time, put that in an eternal perspective. Some of you ladies know this well. When you were very far along with your child, you had pain and aches. And maybe some of you were on bed rest and it was horrible. And, and, and maybe, you know, you were even mad at people around you. But you know what it's like now that your children have been born. And you say, I don't ever want to repeat that again. But it was worth it. You can look at your suffering right now and say, I would never wish this upon my worst enemy. It stinks. It's horrible. But also look at the glory and say, I may be groaning now, but God will remove that groaning. And as I hope in Him now and look forward and patiently await these things, God will never disappoint me or let me down. And it's going to be a struggle. And for some of us, that struggle may last years and decades. But it will pale in comparison to the length of eternity and the glory of the new heavens and the new earth. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you today and we just ask that you uh, would be at work, that you would use the ministry of your word, that we would look forward to the future coming, the hope that we have in glory, that we would look forward to going to heaven when we die. And, and even as Paul says, it's, it's better to depart and be with you. But even more, we would look towards the ultimate, the new heavens and the new earth, where the, the heavenly temple comes down and dwells in all creation. And we just praise you for this. We praise you for your working. We praise you that you have not only loved us and redeemed us, but that you're also going to redeem all of that creation that you originally made and said, it is good. It will one day be not only good, but glorious, as your glory is seen throughout all creation. And we just praise you for that. Amen.